chat, converse, rant, rave, whatever you call it. Do it on the talk shop, only on SAFM. Naledi Muleo on SAFM. It's four minutes after seven. A good evening to you. Welcome to the talk shop here on SAFM. I'm Naledi Muleo with you until nine o'clock. That's when Karen Key takes over from our Cape Town studios. And this evening she brings you the law report. So two hours we have together when we're going to get up to quite a bit. Um, our first discussion, my guest's already chuckling because it's going to be a pretty explosive discussion, I think. We're talking about um, moving forward without being accused of being retrogressive and bitter. Ah, so how many times have you heard it said that, you know, black South Africans need to just get over apartheid? Hmm? We've heard that quite a few times. So we're asking if we should, in fact, do that. And if so, how do we get there? We'll speak to Robert Webster. He's in studio with me. He's a historian. And on the line as well as Professor Alina Sehobie, um, an academic associate with UNISA. Uh, but I'll take your calls on this discussion as well, 891 104-207. Later on, I'll be in studio with Ms. Ndileka Mandela, the CEO of the Tembegile Mandela Foundation. She's also the eldest grandchild of Dr. Nelson Mandela, talking to us about um, the, the Tembegile Mandela Foundation. Uh, they're setting up a Walk to Freedom program. We'll hear more about that later on. And then everyone's been talking about the findings of the CRL Rights Commission um, and their investigations. So we'll, we'll look at the, the, their findings in a lot more detail after 8 o'clock. And again, you're more than welcome to give me a call. 0891-104-207. Tweet at SAFM Radio and send your SMSs to 34701. 106.6, the home of SAFM in Bloemfontein. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Top Chef South Africa judge Neil Anthony returns for a second season of Private Chef. Catch him on SABC3, Tuesdays at 8. This Breast Cancer Awareness Month, exercise your right to access to information. Find out everything you need to know about your health. SAFM, supporting the fight against breast cancer. Sitting at home, day in, day out, just doesn't pay. But this doesn't have to be your reality. The Community Work Program under the Department of Cooperative Governance restores dignity by providing community members with new skills, a reliable income and work experience, taking them a step closer to achieving their dreams. To find out more, dial 012-334-0600 or visit www.cogta.com. .gov.za, the Community Work Program, Restoring Dignity Through Work Opportunities. This advert was brought to you by the Department of Cooperative Governance. Something has come naturally to SAFM, SAFM. like being SA's news and information leader. Information. SAFM, 104 to 107. Now, Lady Muleo on SAFM. So I'll talk back for this evening. Should we get over a bar date? Again, I'll take your calls, 891 I'm in studio with Roger Webster, who's a historian. I said Robert. Apologies for that, Roger. Thanks for joining us on the talk shop. Not at all. Good evening to the listeners. Great stuff. We have uh, Professor Alina Sehobia also on the line from UNISA. Prof, good evening. Thanks for giving us your time. Good evening, Naledi, and good evening to Roger and the listeners. Yeah, this is going to be a very touchy subject, so <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's get the calls coming in already if you're keen to comment, right? So should we, in fact, and who are we, who are we talking to when we say get over apartheid? Um, are we talking to 
the the young black girl in deep sleep with no opportunities, no decent schooling. Are we speaking to you know Lady Molel with Parktown Girls Education that you know has mm. the world mm. at her feet? Mm. Um, who are we talking to exactly? Ro- Roger, thanks for joining us. What is, what are your thoughts on this one actually? You know, it, it's when when people say things like. Um, inequality uh, yes. in education and poverty is all because of the legacy of apartheid. You think what exactly? Well, well, I think we, we should kick off by, by defining what racism really is. Ah. Okay. And there are a couple of dis- definitions that I have here. Um, the one is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which I didn't write. Okay. <laughs> um, a belief that race is a primary determinant of human traits and the capacity and that racial difference produce an inherent superiority of a particular race mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, think, I think that has been in history pretty obvious throughout the whole of Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when one looks at books like um, King Leopold's Ghost and, and what the King of Belgium actually did, in, 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 in the Belgian, the then Belgian Congo, mm-hmm. was absolutely horrendous. I mean, it was as horrendous as, as, as what Hitler and his guys did to the Jewish population. Mm-hmm. However, let's, let's pause for a moment with the Jewish population and the Holocaust mm-hmm. um, during the Second World War. Um, Germany was forced by the Allies to pay... Um, repatriation mm-hmm. to the Jewish people. And they've been paying that now for over 30 years. And I have a, a German friend, and I was talking to him one day over dinner, and I said to him, okay, I understand. When is it enough? When do you get free? Let me give you an example of what I mean. I murder somebody, okay, and I'm found guilty in court, and I go to jail. I faced 27 years, and I have paid my crime to humanity, and I mm-hmm. walk away. Yes. When has Germany paid their crime to what took place in the, Holo- in the Holocaust? Mm. The answer is never. The answer is never. All right. Now, coming back to South Africa and the question of whether or not you, we should get over apartheid. It's interesting that you talk about the Holocaust, because in, in a lot of spaces, if, if anyone ever says Jews need to get over the Holocaust and stop, you know, having all these memorial ceremonies, it, it, it sounds like a very insensitive thing to say. It is an insensitive thing to say. Mm. But also at some stage, okay, the, the Jews got to be able to say, all right, we've forgiven what took place. You can't go on ad infinitum forever and ever and ever. And in 22 years, should, should South Africans have forgiven? I think it usually takes about... Um, a generation, 30 years, and then we should look at, I mean, just look at what has happened since apartheid, okay? Um, I have an explosive amount of black, learned South African friends. Mm -hmm. They're great people, and they've been given the opportunity to go to university. Take take the producer of this program, Tulupelo, okay? I've known Tulupelo for over 15 years. Yes, very well educated. Very well educated. Yes. And when I met her, Tulu used to drive a squirrel squirrel. Yeah. Now. Hold on. Now today, Tulu drives 
what I call a dustbuster, one of those small Mercedes-Benz mm. things, okay? And there are people, black people, who look at her and say, oh, you lucky. She's not lucky. She worked very hard to go through university, took a loan, and paid it back. Now, the end result is South Africa has a worthy person. Yeah. Wow. Um, Now, lady, right, sitting here, right in front of you. Yes. Um, Born in Alexandra, so not privileged. Right. Not one bit. Right. Um, Is lucky. Is it luck? No, no. Okay. Is lucky enough to have found some gracious person that was willing to sponsor her education and now sits where she is today. Right. But where she comes from, she is one out of, you know, thousands Thousands, that have not had that opportunity. Couldn't agree more. Are stuck in poverty because that's where they were placed many, many years ago. I couldn't agree more. And that takes 30 years to, to move past now, I, I'm just using that as an arbitrary mm-hmm. figure. I think it might take a generation or maybe two generations. I don't know. But I will quote a situation that, that I'm well aware of. Take Germany after 1945. Okay. Germany was destroyed. It was bombed to absolute smithereens. And something in the culture of those German peoples made them lift up themselves by their bootstraps and build a nation from 1945 which has today become the powerhouse of the whole of Europe Mm. now my question is what is that something that makes the Naledi greater than the average what is that something that makes the Tulupela greater than the average and you say it is lifting yourself by your bootstraps I don't know what it is. All right. Well, but I, there is something. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hear from the prof, because mm. she's, she's been quiet and, she, and she's Indeed, she's here. been listening. Uh, Professor Alina Sekhobi. Thank you very much, Nadia Thank you, Roger. I must confess I was a bit lost where we are going with the conversation. Mm. But I think I'll pick it up from that last sentence. What is the difference? What, what, what is the difference between those, like the Germans, who post the war were able to recover and rebuild and perhaps the silent part of that question is, what about the African continent where some countries have been independent for more than 50 years mm. and may not have achieved the same growth that has, as Germany? Mm. I think for some of us who are not only historians but uh, students of development would argue that there is something that is quite, I would say, obvious in the development trajectory of Germany as opposed to any other African country. And that is that Germany still has the power to perhaps benefit and perhaps unduly so from the resources that were still extracted from the continent of Africa, particularly from those countries which were still mm. linked by colonial ties to mm. Germany, as too would other countries who were linked to, for example, France or Britain. So even though in terms of political liberation, mm. the African states that today would have enjoyed a liberated status politically may not have had the same kind of economic power or ability yes. as perhaps Germany to be able to take charge and take very strong charge 
of their own development trajectory. So in my view, comparing Germany, for example,'s change in the last 45 years or 30 years actually, 70, and yeah. perhaps other countries on the continent who were also uh, devastated by war or by the colonial experience, perhaps maybe missing the point. I would like to come back to South Africa. What, 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 what is it that makes, for okay. example, a young black person mm. able to rise from Alexandra mm. and uh, become something different? And uh, perhaps uh, another young person who is raised from a different cultural context, in this case, let me say, a Caucasian family who are also on the continent in South Africa. Mm. The huge difference is opportunity that is there presented, whether it's presented by the state or presented by factors of history. Mm. In the case of South Africa, clearly a young white person who would have had the same start as, for example, yourself, Naledi, in terms of education, and we would say there would have been possibly an equal playing field in terms of um, basic age, demographics, etc., mm. may not in fact be as equal as you may think, because the factors that would historically perhaps advantage that young Caucasian person as opposed to the young black child mm. will be very, very telling as you grow older. Mm. And for the people who inform and influence your growing up environment, that which we call culture and the landscape, the context in which you grow up, will be different. You will be going to that model C school, but going back to Alexander, mm. and will start a stick out as different because those around you are indeed not enjoying the same experience of world doingness. Mm. Mm. Those will inform and influence how you come out. So in a way, you are quite right, Naledi. You will become the lucky one who gets out and gets that opportunity. Whereas in a different cultural, racial context, more of those will be able to enjoy and ascend that higher ability because there are more of those who are in that enabling environment, whether it's because they have the material wealth or have they have the general environment that is better able to nurture right. This is why I wanted to, in, in fact, interrogate how the, the, uh, Robert, Roger, again, I, I say Robert, <laughs> Roger, you, you, you started, you know, your, your, your response to my first question with defining racism. I, yeah. I wonder if when we say um, black people can't get over apartheid, if we still think that it's because this is a racial discussion and not because of, as, as the prof is putting it, the, the, the issue around economics and, and our social economic... I uh, couldn't agree more. Mm. And I, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a better example, far closer to home. I was fortunate enough in my, my career to be part and parcel of the development of Botswana. And Beers was opening up a, a massive diamond mine there called Joning. And um, Harry Oppenheimer, who was then... Sir Harry Oppenheimer, who was then in charge of De Beers was, and he was one of my heroes in Celeste today. And this man turned around and said, no, we will go, De Beers will go into a 50-50 partnership with the Botswana government. Mm. And I remember the high-up guys, I'm not going to name them, said, no, no, just give us control, make it 41, uh, uh, 51, 49. And he said, no. He said, we are going into a 50-50 arrangement with the government of Botswana. Oh. We will put up the capital, and we will develop this mine. Okay? And let's see what happens. Oh. Now, that was over 37 years ago. 
It is a success story in Africa of note. At some some stages, the, the Botswana economy was growing at 13%. Mm. And they didn't squander that money. They took that money, they developed roads, they developed electricity, they developed schools, they developed clinics, and uplifted the entire community of Botswana because of one guy's vision. Mm. And that still continues That's to this day. in there because they... I, I am perhaps lucky to also have an insight into that very country and economy. And to back to differ slightly, um, and in my differing is to say, indeed, that uh, from an economic point of view would seem to be a success story. Seem? No, no, it was. It's clear. But, but if you look the more closely, a more nuanced look into Botswana's economy will highlight the structural inequalities, particularly along racial lines, too. If you look at the communities who live around joining, who mm. were in many ways excluded from that very wealth, and who also had to cede their land to the mine and its environs and to the company, mm. those communities will not have enjoyed the, or the translation of the wealth or opportunities of the diamond economy as much as one would have thought they would have. And it is one of those things, again, that brings me to another point, particularly South Africa, the issue of how do we translate what seems to be, I would say, gross wealth of a nation to the mm. beneficiation of the ordinary person? Mm. The high inequality rate in Botswana is a marker of that story not being as successful as perhaps the narrative that is officially... Um, here, you have a, here you have a country but that's never had, never had a party. If we want post-1994 to say what makes a young black person to be able to get up and get on with it and be able to perhaps, as you were saying, get over apartheid. The question is, what are the tools at their disposal? Mm. One of those fundamental tools is identity, affirmation of self, mm. which in my view is also linked to resources. And one of the key resources in this regard will be the resource of land. If one is uprooted and unrooted as things stand, mm. you cannot really be as affirmed as you may be. And this is why... That from my area of, 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 of research mm. in terms of history and uh, heritage studies, we look at the issue of how do you define your identity and your affirmation, therefore a capacity to transform your own imagination into a more successful future. One of those enablers is the issue of having somewhere to call my space, my place. Mm. In a context where people have been dispossessed of land, as would have happened with the communities around Johnny Mine or any other mine for that matter across the continent, those communities will be in many regards rooted without roots. And therefore, in that context, will be less able to reach their full potential mm. if those who will be benefiting from the actual trickles or actual bounty of the capital from projects like mining. Mm. So in many regards, the projects that we can see as successful across the continent including those that would have led to transformation of communities in terms of roads or connectivity or infrastructure, don't always really highlight the, I would say, poverty or the, the, the lack of yeah. that affects communities who, mm. in many ways, in the process of development or economic development, are dispossessed. Mm. And I think, in my view, the issue of how we mark success across the continent should be very specifically looking at how social development translates into people, wellness, well-being, and 
One of those well, that's demands exactly what happened. a reduction of this gross inequality that exists within our community. All right, well, let's mm. do this. I need to take a few calls. The number to call 0891-104-207. Vuyiswa was on the line in Johannesburg. Vuyiswa, good evening. Yes, hello. Thank you, Nandeti, for taking my call. Yes, thank you. Uh, I think uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, as a victim of systems, all my, uh, I, I think that Westerners are not uh, serving Africans justice. Because right now we're talking about only the Second World War, whereas genocide in Africa began from day one when white men blended into this continent. And not even one soul has been compensated. And it's very unfair to, to, to compare with Germany, because Germany is one of the countries that are benefiting from the, from the, the riches of the continent, that they don't want Africans to control those riches. They keep on coming back. I think it never happened to Germany that other countries interfere. They interfere day in, day out, every minute and moment that passes mm. by. And they have not compensated us, not even for apartheid, slavery, mm. colonization, and everything they've done from East Africa to West Africa to South Africa, to all Southern Africa, Africans have suffered so much, and they need to compensate us before they can start comparing us. Mm. All right, uh, so thanks for calling. I'll take more. 0891 You want to respond to that, Roger? Yes, indeed. Um, she's absolutely right. I mean, one, one of the stories I wrote, and which was absolutely horrendous, is, is when, in days gone by, it was, it was known as German Southwest Africa. Um, a guy by the name of General, uh, Lieutenant General Lothar von Troder was absolutely ruthless in, in destroying the Herero and the Namaqua. And I've studied the case. And, you know, when you take troops and you, you, you chase these people into the Kalahari Desert mm. and then you post troops to keep them from coming back to get any water and they, they're dying of of thirst and starvation. Mm. And when the Bamangwato tribe of Kama eventually found them walking in the desert, they couldn't talk. Mm. Their, their tongues were so swollen from lack of water that all they could do was hiss. Mm. And, and those are atrocities that are real. But, but isn't it interesting then, the, uh, Roger, that uh, you mentioned the German paying reparations for the genocide but the very same country and culture has not done the same for the Herero. Correct, they haven't. And it is they refuse to pay. Many years for um, even an acknowledgement and an apology to come to the people of uh, Namibia for that genocide. No, absolutely I don't correct. Critical genocides that are documented in history. Yeah, let me just come in there. Um, I'm glad that we're actually talking about the Herero because... I think when we when we go back to the Pretoria girls issue, right, and the issue around girls wanting to wear their hair natural, that's for anyone that understood what these girls wanted was again, as as the professors talked about, the sense of you know pride in of our being, identity, yeah. right? Um, have you seen the traditional garb? Yes, of course I have. Of the Herero. I've danced with them. These massive Victorian outfits and, and beautiful, beautiful but not very authentic to, 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 to Africa. And that says a lot about the impact of colonization in South Africa. And if it's easy to then turn around know, and say... I don't know whether if you're right, Naledi, you know, if, if you see them in their traditional style with the horns on, 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 on the, the headgear 
It is absolutely, and they look so regal. But I'm talking about an obliteration of, of, of culture where their traditional garb, according to their understanding today, is men walking around in army, in, in army suits. Oh, my goodness, no. You, you have no. not seen that? No. So no I, I think, Marie, my point will be contrast in the same country, the Herero and the, um, the Himba people, mm. who some would like to see as uh, left by time. I've, I've seen writings or postings that see them and they've been photographed almost as uh, people photograph wildlife, which is, in my view, very, very offensive. And people go on to say, look, they're walking around naked. Why is it that they have not changed? And the idea being, of course, a, a very Western idea of modernity and change and clothing that is then seen as traditional. In this case, one can look at the Herero dress, indeed, as a mark of their trauma mm. and experience with the German, Germanic um, cultural uh, encounter. Yes. So, so, so that, that, that then becomes an invented tradition, which indeed, in our multicultural and multi-plural context today in Africa, we celebrate as our diversity. But if you compare that with the Himba, who in many regards continued to practice the cultural, uh, I would say, markers or traditions that, that they would have been part of their heritage from earlier times and were not perhaps uh, forcefully um, changed by the colonial experience, mm. one can see the difference between the two cultures. Mm. Mm. Yeah, l- listen, I need to look at some of the SMSs that have come in, and we have a few people waiting on the line. Again, 891 uh, let's see. Now, lady, where is the apartheid government involved when 200 million rand goes into Nkanza and when underqualified people are appointed at SAA and the SABC? That's Billy in Arkanuk. Um, another one that says, as long as the laws we still use are the apartheid laws, especially on land, um, then, then, then we're not going to see any change and we can't get over apartheid. Uh, there's one that says, please advise the historian that the establishment of the IMF and the World Bank was a response to the destruction of Germany. Uh, Germany was a direct beneficiary of these two institutions. Compare apples with apples, Polani in, in Cape Town. 0891 to give me a call. The number is 0891 is on the line in Centurion. Hudisani, good evening. Good evening, how are you? I'm well, how are you? All right, thanks. I just want to make a comment. I think it is it is, it is unfair to compare Germany, war, which is a physical destruction of both people and infrastructure within a country by different countries, can never be comparable to a systematic social um, uh, program that is designed mainly to, 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 to create a person who thinks less of themselves over 400 years. I think we are making a comparison of completely two different things. I mean, if you look at Germany itself, it's a country that on its own continues to benefit today through apart, through, 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 um, uh, and, and from Africa. But also at the same, at the same time, if you look at an African child within the African soil, who has been raised over time knowing that seeing a white person, um, and I'll give you a practical example. When I was at school in Chizini village in Venda, mm. when we see a white person, we will literally run out of the class to go and greet or be closer to the white person. 
that mentality is still stuck with me somewhat. Mm. So the other people still believe that when there is a white person, um, things will tend to be better. And that is a mindset that has been created not within a short period of time, mm. but, but for a very long period of time. Mm. Germany war, both the First World War and the Second World War never took five years. Mm. And not yes, we can years. agree that property and, and the country went, in, went into ruin. But the people were never made to feel less of themselves. In fact, what has resulted into the war is their superiority complex of feeling that they are more superior than the others. Mm. That's, that's why I defined racism right at the beginning. That's why I defined racism. Thank because you. it says the, that the racial difference produce an inherent superiority of a particular race over somebody else. Mm. Yeah, j- just quickly, let's take more calls and then we'll, g- we'll give you guys an opportunity to respond. Monica's on the line in Orlando. Monica, good evening. I think we have a choice to live with the white people because they're here to stay and only worry about the one who doesn't treat you well when you walk in the street and maybe he knocks you over. That's well one person you have. Please don't generalize. We have a generation growing up. We want them to look at white people and see them as white, uh, as people, mm-hmm. not as white people. Mm. Let's look at a white person and see a person before we see his color. Yeah. Then say, hello, 100%. how are you? If he says, footsteck, then that is a bad guy. But we get footsteck from duckies too. We have ducky uh, chiefs who will conquer a tribe and burn their fields. Let's go back to history and say it exactly the way it is, please. 100%. Can I have to chip in there, Naledi, if I may? Yeah, go ahead, Prof. I I think the lady is expressing something which has been very well um, captured by, if you look at the writing of Franz Fanon, Mm. in how we we, we internalize self-hate as black people, and then, of course, in the process, the assumption that forgiveness means forgetting. And the two are quite different. And I think a quick response there, too, is if indeed we want to have our children grow up and treat all people as human beings, the question that we need to ask ourselves, if Martin Luther King, when he said, I have a dream, more than my age, really, like many day, years ago, and still today, the conversation around Black Lives Matter and, and the, the, what is emerging as an indiscriminate, I would say, targeting of black people, particularly black males mm. in the U.S. of A. by the law enforcement system, suggests to us that indeed we as black people can say we are all human beings and will treat each other equally. But if it is not a reciprocal person relationship, the question is, what are black people to do, whether they are in the diaspora or they are in their own countries? Because the, the lived experience of even young people who live, uh, who are born after the apartheid uh, era, hmm. find themselves questioning, why am I being treated differently or being targeted differently? And that was the conversation being had by the young girls who were protesting around the issue of hair and identity. Hmm. So it, 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 is, it, is, it is great and it is the ideal that we should all identify as 
human and be humane to each other. But if it is not translating into, I would say, equal opportunities for people going into adulthood for the young born free, then the question is why is there a persistence of differentiating others on the basis of race? And that, to me, is the substance of what we should be discussing, and that is, that is because those who have probably enjoyed privilege and protection by the apartheid state may, in fact, not themselves have come to the moment of actually critically, internally looking at what made their privilege so important for their own progression, mm. and therefore what does it take to perhaps create a better, equal, level playing field or enjoyment space for mm. those who were disadvantaged. And that's the critical conversation that needs to be had mm. around the people of South Africa and, of course, the African continent and the global community at large. And, and it, it, it's what every once in a while sparks out at Black Lives Matter because then we see that we may think we are equal, we may want to be equal, but we are not yet there. Okay. So what uh, is Professor, Professor if, I, if I may interject. Just, just a moment. Prof, I'm going to hang up on you and call you back so we get a clearer line. Go ahead. The thing that worries me is, is you're limiting your thinking to Africa and Southern Africa. If you, if you travel the world, okay, and you, you find that the Basque separatists hate the Spanish, they don't want to be part of Spain. You go to Scotland and you talk to them about the English people. They say history tells us they are rubbish. We hate them. You go to Wales, you get the same response. You go to Ireland, you get the same response. So, I'm not so sure that a sort of a multicultural pot has really taken place anywhere in the world. Mm. I mean, I've been, I've been in, in America, um, in Texas, as a matter of fact, where this Texan with a 10-gallon hat got into this lift, and, and there, were, there was a black guy next to me, and he looked at him and he said, I don't go on the same lift as you, nigger, get out. And the black man left. And I looked at this and I thought, our place is bad. My goodness, do we have any clue of how bad the rest of the world is? And that's why... There's a sense that we're trying to make ourselves feel better by making a comparison with what else is wrong across the, across mm, the world instead mm. of looking at what, what, what we need to fix here in South Africa. Yes, that is also true. All right, well, but I think we're fixing it. Yeah. I think we're fixing it more than anybody else. What are you seeing that says we're fixing it? Are you talking about the few young people that have been, ex- that have been able to access opportunity? Is that what we say when we say we're fixing it? No, I've seen a lot of people, um, and to lose an example, who took a loan, went and studied at university, now, hold now, on, and then paid back the loan, which enabled other people to access that money. And I tell you thing. that the impact of apartheid is more than just access to opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Standing in the queue at oh, a supermarket and, and having someone serve the white man first, even I agree. in 2016. That's wrong. That's, that's totally wrong. And I agree that's wrong. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying that why I use Germany is here's a nation that pulled themselves up okay. by their bootstraps. All right, Patricia's on the line in Cape Town. Patricia, good evening. Hi, good evening, lady. Yeah, thanks for uh, calling. Yes, besides, I don't actually know your name now, but let me just tell you what is important. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be very personal and tell you a little story about myself. My late mother passed away two years ago. Her father was German. Her mother 
father came from America. He was a Native American. I'm a colored girl today because my dad comes from the Eastern Cape. My grandfather had a Scottish mother, and my grandfather had a colored father from Port Elizabeth, born in Utenay. Okay. I joke with the Kosa people, and then sometimes they say, Or I say, ah, Sisi and my daughter. They say to me, wow, look at this woman. I understand black people. But I'm going to tell you just what that gentleman said there. I am a little disturbed about the violence that's going on. I'm not talking about nationality and racism. All I want to say is equal, maybe if any uh, ethnic race of a man, whether he's Koza, Songa, Zulu or what, we all suffered. Mm. We all suffered during the time. You know, my ex-husband was a man that stood up for the Indian people. And I remember the UDF, wah, wah, wah. Mm. I want the black man, I'll say sorry if I use that word, the African man, to realize that we all have experienced the same. And it hurts me, because I happen to have a daughter who's on maternal leave, and she works for Vits. She's so upset at what's going on. I'm sure. But, yes, no serious. And I'm sitting in Cape Town, I was in Johannesburg two weeks ago. I'm worried for my daughter going back to work in the forthcoming time. Okay. Yeah, Patricia. Yeah, so, yeah. so I just want to say, let say it if you can speak the language. Because that's a beautiful language. Mm. My grandfather spoke seven. He was a postman. What I'm saying to you, he was amongst the black people. He drank the board. My dad, my late dad, yes. would have been 95 this year. But he passed on about 20 years before. My daddy used to go and fetch my daddy, my grandfather, in the location. I play the guitar, I play the piano yeah, for but years. Patricia, Patricia I, I, I get the point. Thanks, thanks for calling. I just need to move on because we, need, we have very little time left. Um, there's an SMS here that says, Why must black folk always be asked to forgive without reparations? Um, stopping the destruction does not equate to fixing it. Uh, let, let's talk about the students because Patricia's also touched on them. Uh-oh. Um, the students are are not necessarily arguing for free free education. For really, they, they, their argument, in fact, is for black students to be able to access education. The doors need to be open. The fees need to be scrapped, especially for those that are previously disadvantaged. Now you see that, and you think, what, Roger? I see that, and I say anybody is entitled to a university education, provided they qualify to get in the door, whether they be black, yellow, green, or blue. Okay. Now, the problem we have is that many of them shouldn't be there. Mm. And the reason why I say that is, is pure economics. If you sit in a society where only 5 or 6% of the country's population pay the tax, mm. okay, where on earth is the government going to get the money to pay for that? There isn't the money. When the government says See, I wasn't there asking isn't money, about I wasn't asking about the economics behind their argument. I'm asking about the, mm. the the philosophies of it. I mean, they're also talking about decolonizing the curriculum. What, what does that mean? Well, how do you decolonize a curriculum? Either you learn economics or you don't. <laughs> I perhaps to chip in there. How do you yeah. want that one decolonize? In my in my area of research, 
we, we, we do recognize opportunities for decolonizing knowledge. One of those, what does that for mean, example, if you look at uh, the work of someone like Professor Melissa Kante, mm. who is an Afrocentric researcher associated with Timali, he will highlight, for example, how the appropriation of knowledge mm. from ancient Egypt, and this is something that we have as an archaeologist, something we know, mm. the appropriation of knowledge systems, for example, knowledge of medicine, knowledge of astronomy, knowledge of engineering, mathematics, yeah. Egypt, and yes. then turning that around and claiming it is a Greco-Roman system of knowledge makes the person from whom that knowledge system comes from feel they are a lesser being. And most of the time when I teach, my students always ask me, but how come we didn't do anything, we didn't invent anything? And it takes a long time to convince them that, in fact, even here in Southern Africa at Mapungugwe, mm. we did create knowledge and technologies that changed and transformed us. We did metallurgy, we had architecture, we had so many things that mark black cultures as capable. Yeah, the Tonga people were, were metalsmiths. When you go to learning sites, whether it's primary school, and suddenly the site of learning is only through a medium that you do not understand. Mm. If I leave, for example, South Africa and go to Germany, and my first lesson and exam is in German, and I don't know that language, I will fail, and I'll be called a failure. But not because I do not have the knowledge, but because I don't know the language. The first step in terms of decolonizing knowledge is what are the languages that we use to educate our young about their selves. Right. So for so long as we are using media, whether it's all the European languages that we glorify and, 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 and edify, which are foreign to our knowledge systems, then we are unable to translate that which is African and rich and diverse in terms of technocultural experiences into direct knowledge that is worth the three for science, technology, and innovation, and therefore wealth. Creation. Mm. Mm. I hear, yeah. I hear Prof, what you're Prof, saying. Oh, just a Prof. second, Prof. I, Prof. I need to let you go because we are out of time. Roger, yeah. I'll give you an yeah, opportunity problem. to respond. But thanks for joining us, Professor Alina Sahobia, mm. um, academic associate at UNISA. Thanks, Prof. Roger. Roger Webster. This is an SMS that's coming from Cal. Roger Webster should stick to the fireside stories. His history <laughs> knowledge is colonial, and he needs a refresher course. Your, your <laughs> final thoughts, Roger. <laughs> 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 you know. Um, one, one, one of the funny things that happened in the past, um, I was actually part and parcel of it, where, where somebody turned around and said, you know, you want to talk about people like Max Dupree. Roger Webster knows more about the African people, and a lot of the African people know themselves. And that is true, because I, I've lived with a lot of them. So, yeah, that's I don't have a colonial background at all. I'm South African. And uh, I have a great respect for the ethnology of Africa. And I, mm. I, I find it extremely interesting and extremely deep. I lived in the Kalahari Desert. Do um, you speak any indigenous languages? Yes, I used to see, speak Setswana. But the trouble is, if you don't use it like playing chess, you lose it. Mm. It's like trees. I, I don't know how many times I've been out in the bush and have to relearn the names of okay. trees. Exactly the same. Okay, let's, let's, let's close this. I don't think you've answered this question. Should we get over apartheid? Just yes or no? Well, what option do we have? That's, that's your final thoughts. No, what option do we have? Do we carry it on forever? Or do the average South African white apologize and say, yes, it was wrong? Of course it was wrong. 
Um, or do but, we argue for equal playing fields for all? Oh, no, I don't want an equal playing field for mm. all. But the trouble is, in an equal playing field, the worst of the soccer players must fall out. <laughs> Roger, let's leave it there. <laughs> That's otherwise the we problem. could go on for too long. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we'll get, uh, we're definitely going to get a lot more responses from our listeners. Roger Webster, you've definitely been fun to chat to. Thanks for the chat. Roger Webster's a historian. You're still on the talk shop on SAFM. I have um, Miss Ndilek Amandela coming into the studio in a moment.